Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 80. Uh, We've got a big show for you today, and we'll start right off the bat with the World Series. I know we talk about football on this show, but... We can't ignore baseball, uh, especially the World Series, Ed. And um, it looked like the Astros were going to win that Game 7. They had a 2-0 lead, and then something happened, Ed. Explain it to all I, of us. I think, I think the problem was is that they took they took the pitcher out. I mean, it's in, it's you know they, they took the pitcher out, and I, I thought they pinched hit for him. And, um, you know, I, I just I, – I would I would have stuck with Granke because he was pitching a great game. And I, I mean, I, I understand the guy might be getting tired, but I thought that was the mistake there, and I think that's why the Nationals won that game. It was a great World Series. I mean, the Nationals took a two to zero lead. Everybody was talking them up, and then the Astros won three straight games. All of a sudden, the Nationals win Game Six, and it's it's down to Game Seven. And obviously, you you go with the home team, you go with the favorite, and, and the Astros were the favorites heading into the the postseason. But and they had the lead, and all of a sudden, just in the seventh inning, everything blew open, and, and the Nationals came up with the big win. It's just a huge Cinderella story. I know everybody is talking about it, but through the first 50 games, Ed, the Nationals were 19 and 31. Not only were they not thinking about the World Series, but not many people anticipated that they were going to be in the postseason in the first place. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a Cinderella story. I mean, this is their first championship. So, I mean, it's nice to see someone else win. I mean, obviously you want to see your own team win. But, um, you know, I I, I mean, it's it's a good story, and it's good for baseball to see a team like the Nationals. I mean, they've moved from Montreal, and, um, you know, now they're in Washington, and, um, you know, this is this is good for Washington. I mean, I don't know if Washington is always the best sports city, and you know they've had a lot of troubles with the Redskins, and so um, you know I'm happy. I'm happy for the Washington fans. And this is the Nationals' first World Series win, so it's it's huge for the city. It's huge for the for the team. They they lose Bryce Harper, and then. All of a sudden, next year, they just come out and, and the, win the World Series. So it's even more amazing. You know, everybody before the postseason was talking about the Astros, the Yankees, the, the Dodgers. And nobody was talking about the Nationals. They, they certainly snuck up on people and, and they beat the best team in, in the regular season, which were the Houston Astros. Next year, by the way, Ed, uh, Bavada Sportsbook has the Astros and the Yankees as the favorites currently. They're at plus 600 so both of those teams are heading into the 2020 season as as the favorites in the world series what do you think about that yeah i mean it's kind of too early to say i mean we we saw how like the red sox you know dominated in 2018 and you know now in 2019 they didn't look very good so you know teams can drop off I, i i don't feel like i don't feel like there's i feel like there's bigger drop offs in baseball than compared to football well, let's let's return to uh, talking about football and let's get to college football. Ed, the LSU Tigers are the new number one team currently, and um, obviously, the the game against Alabama is not this week, 
Uh, it's going to be next week, and everybody is dying to see this. LSU at number one, Alabama at number two. This is as good as it gets in SEC country or all, all around the, the U.S. So LSU Tigers at number one. I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, they, they beat up on Auburn, and they, they definitely lay, lay claim that they are the best team in the land. Yeah, I mean, I I I'm I I kind of think that Alabama and Clemson are better teams, but the fact is is that the resume that the LSU Tigers have, I mean, they have a win over Texas, they have a win over Florida, and they have a win over Auburn. I mean, no team has no team has had the quality of wins that the LSU Tigers have had, so they deserve to be number one now. But I mean, you know, looking look ahead in a couple weeks, I mean, they're gonna be they're gonna be facing, uh, you know. Alabama and you know things are looking better now and they might they might be going against uh, Mac Jones instead of Tua Tung Viola I mean that's kind of the speculation so um, you know things look things look good for LSU but uh, you know it, it really it really it all comes down to you know if they can beat Alabama and that that will really determine who gets into the college football playoff you mentioned that they obviously beat Texas but Texas just they don't look that good right now. I think they're out of the top 25 because they've lost, I think, they they have three losses on the season. Florida is at number six. Auburn only fell to number 11 after losing to LSU, making them the, the highest-ranked two-loss team in the nation. You know what? I can make a case that even if LSU, and we'll talk about it next week, but even if LSU loses to Alabama, their brutal schedule is why the SEC chances of getting two-team Two teams in the college football playoff appears better than the Big Ten chances or the Big Twelve chances. It's just to me, it's it's amazing. I mean, LSU has really risen to every occasion, and based on on their schedule, these should be the favorites against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, I, th- I think the Oklahoma loss kind of shakes things up, and it's it kind of plays into the SEC's favor is now. Now, you know, usually Oklahoma's been in the college football playoff, but, you know, now that they've lost to Kansas State, I mean, you know, they've kind of fallen back in the rankings, and now now it, it really, it really, I mean, I picked at the beginning of the year to see two SEC teams go into the, um, into, into the college football playoffs. It doesn't look like Georgia will be one of those teams, but they could be. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, this looks, this looks great for two teams going to the, from the SEC being in the playoff. What happened to the Sooners against Kansas State? I mean, right now I talked about this. Texas kind of fell out of this race. I thought Texas was going to be a lot better than what they've been the past couple of weeks. I mean, they're they're just not playing defense. So that win that, that the Sooners had against Texas just doesn't look that great right now because Texas is just, they're not even in the, in the top 25. What happened against Kansas State? Well, the fact of the matter is is that Oklahoma's offense has carried them this whole year and Oklahoma's defense has been very mediocre. I don't think Oklahoma Oklahoma's defense didn't play a good game against Kansas State. And you know, their offense was their offense was good, but it wasn't it wasn't spectacular and you know, you just can't expect Oklahoma to 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 just put up astronomical numbers every week. I mean that's just unfair. That's just unfair to their offense to expect them to put up astronomical numbers every week. And so that's that's really why, you know, Kansas State won this week. I mean, it was it was it was a bad week. I mean, 
you know, I still think Oklahoma is a better football team than Kansas State. But, I mean, you know, Oklahoma needs to they – need, they need to focus on recruiting some defensive guys because it's – it's it's getting to be it's getting to be too offensive heavy. That's why any given Saturday, any team could come out and and beat a more talented team, uh, a favorite, you know, in regards. That's that's what makes football great. This isn't a, a best of game. You know, we don't have a we don't have to win seven games like in baseball. You know, it's. It's not a series where you win four games and you can go seven games. You can have an, an off day or it's a basketball playoff series or NHL playoff series. It's one game. One game decides it. And, and that's why on any given Saturday, any team can pull off the upset. And you know what? You and I wrote off the, the Michigan Wolverines, Ed. And that's what usually happens. We write them off and all of a sudden they they put up their, their best performance uh, of the season, and it looks like the Michigan Wolverines actually have a heartbeat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really done picking Michigan games. I mean, <laughs> like I, I I just don't know what Michigan team's going to show up. I mean, you know, Shea Patterson's been streaky. I think just the Michigan team has been streaky. I I fully expected Notre Dame to win that game. I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong about that game. And uh, you know, it just it just it just. The thing is, the thing is, though, is that you know Michigan did have this win, but I still, I still just don't trust them. I just don't trust them to win the Big Ten. I actually do. Um, if if they continue to go this route, I, I think they've got a winning recipe. And like I said, I'm I'm not saying that after only this week. I just I feel like their offense has gotten into a groove. I, I'll tell you what impressed me the most. Their offensive line played extremely well, something that I just didn't see before this game against Notre Dame. They were able to run the ball down the Irish's throat, and they didn't have any turnovers, something that has plagued them over the past seven games. And it's just their their running game was just alive. I mean, every runner that they put into the game, he was successful. It had a lot to do with their offensive line and, and their D. I mean, their defense held the Irish to 47 yards. It's amazing. I realized that the game was in the rain. It was an ugly game that was, you know, if you didn't have a good running game, obviously you weren't going to have any success here. And Michigan kept it on the ground and they, they pounded it down uh, Notre Dame's throat and they, they were able to do their job. I just, I was very impressed by their defense and I was very impressed by, that, by their offensive line. If they have that recipe going forward, I, I think they've got a chance against some other teams in the future that they're going to play. And to say the least, they've got a shot against the Buckeyes at the end of November. Yeah, I, I, I really feel, I feel really strongly about Ohio State winning the the uh, the Big Ten this year. I mean, I just I feel I feel like they've they've really won the games they should, and I think Justin Fields has proven to be the quarterback that he was recruited to be, and um, you know now he's in the right situation at Ohio State. You know he's not backing up Jake Fromm in in Georgia, so um, I I I I legitimately think that Ohio State deserves to be one of the four. Well, let's talk about Ohio State. I made the prediction on last week's show that Wisconsin was going to win the game. I obviously didn't pick the right game. I should have picked Kansas State over Oklahoma. Ohio State just trounced Wisconsin. 
And I thought Jonathan Taylor and Wisconsin's offensive line was just going to have a, a field day against Ohio State. It, it wasn't to be. The Buckeyes' offensive line deserves the credit for the win. J.K. Dobbins ran for 163 yards and two scores. Fields threw for 167 yards and two touchdowns. And, but the offensive line just dominated the game. It just it wore down that Wisconsin's defense. And it's just it was amazing to see, to, to be honest with you. And let's talk about Chase Young. And Chase Young is right now in the discussion for, for the Heisman Trophy. The, the defensive end came up with six tackles, four sacks, and five tackles for loss with two forced fumbles. He just he took his game up a few notches and he, he ruined everything that the Badgers were trying to do on offense. Yeah, Chase Chase Young has become a really impressive player. I mean, I think I think he's played himself into like a top five pick at this point. I mean, you know, you know, there's still the combine and you know the whole off season to go, but I I, I legitimately think he's he's in the top five. I've listened to a few experts and they've mentioned that Chase Young is their number one player right now on the board, especially with Tua's injury and. We don't know if he's going to be back against LSU. I mean, obviously, we're going to monitor that. Chase Young is their, clearly their number one guy. And many people believe that he's got himself in position for to be one of the finalists for the Heisman Trophy. Obviously, he's got to keep this going. We all know that a quarterback is going to win it eventually. But it's making it interesting when we're midway through the season, we're talking about a defensive player. Chase Young is really an impressive player, and I think he's a player that could fit in a 4-3 defense as, as a defensive end, or he could be even more deadly as a 3-4 pass rusher like a Von Miller or a Bradley Chubb type of player. So it, obviously it's somebody that we're going to monitor. Uh, we did a scouting report on him earlier um, in, in the season. You can listen to that show. Obviously, Chase Young is somebody that we're going to talk about a lot leading up to the draft, but it's, it's amazing. Obviously, Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, the success that they've had in the NFL, it's only going to help Chase Young in, in his pursuit of the NFL draft. So I definitely see a, a top three player if he continues to play the way he's played this year. Let's talk about the big game in the SEC. Uh, there are not a lot of big games in college football, but the biggest of them all, the Georgia Bulldogs against the, the Florida Gators. The Florida Gators sit at number six currently. The Georgia Bulldogs are at number eight. Both teams have one loss on their resume. It's a huge game that has immense implications in this whole thing. The winner of this game is most likely going to represent uh, the SEC East in the SEC championship game. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a great game. I mean, Florida Florida and Georgia are both great teams. Um, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for Georgia to redeem themselves, and I think they do deserve a chance to redeem themselves. I mean, you know, after that, after that I mean, you could almost call it a fluke, you know, against South Carolina, but... I think they, I think they legitimately deserve a chance to to redeem themselves, and I think this is the, their weekend to be their opportunity. Certainly, if Georgia can't win this game, then I mean, you pretty much, you pretty much go and say this season has been a bust, and um, you know they haven't met expectations and so forth. And so, but you know, I I, I have my money on Georgia this game. Um, but you know, Florida, Florida, Florida is a good team, and. You know, I think Florida would look a lot better if they weren't such a they weren't in such a difficult conference. 
Um, they're still a great team, and I think they still deserve to be in the New Year's Six. I think the difference in this game is going to be in the trenches, Ed. Uh, Florida leads the SEC in sacks, and Georgia is leading the nation with just four sacks allowed. So this game is going to come down to this. Can Florida get pressure on Jake Fromm? Or will Georgia's offensive line, which didn't look that stellar against the South Carolina front, they actually gave up three of those, uh, three out of those four sacks during the South Carolina loss when, when Fromm had those three picks. I just think Jake Fromm had one bad game this season, and he's not going to have another bad game. As much as I've talked up the Florida Gators this season, I really love the team. They've overachieved, especially with, with their starting quarterback, Felipe Franks, being out. But I just can't imagine Trask continuing to put up good numbers and continuing to win. Florida has a lot of weapons. They've got DeAndre Swift at running back, and they've got Jake Fromm, who just has to play mistake-free football, and I think he's going to be able to do that. And that's why I think the Bulldogs will come out on top. And I actually believe that the Bulldogs will continue to raise up their profile in in their bid for, for the Final Four. And I think they'll, they'll continue to, to move up into the standings. And uh, we'll see again what happens next week with LSU Alabama. But Georgia, if it continues to play well, they've got a shot. Ed. I mean, you said that they might be out of it. I think if they beat Florida, they're back on the radar. Well, they, they have, I mean, they have a path. They beat Florida this week, and then they win the SEC championship, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, that you almost have to put them in. You know, you know, being the SEC champs, you almost have to put them in the college football playoff. Well, Bavada has Georgia as the favorite on the road versus Florida in this big SEC champ, SEC showdown. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs are favored minus six over the Florida Gators in this game, according to Bovada. Uh, let's move on to the NFL, Ed. A lot of things happening. Look, I, I love that the NFL has become, that general managers have become more aggressive at the trade deadline, before the trade deadline. It's starting to look more like the MLB trade deadline or the NBA trade deadline when things are happening. People are moving. They're, they're switching teams. And I love it that it's not all about the draft, that it's not about, you know, waiting till uh, when when April rolls around, when you start trading some players for, for extra selections. I love it. I, I love it that teams are being more aggressive and they're going after players that they want and they're, they're willing to give up some picks. Um, I want to get your input on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think you you kind of see the trade deadline move back a little bit. So you kind of get that like uh, in baseball where there's kind of like the buyers and the sellers. So I think I think that you know that kind of makes the 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 beginning of the season more interesting because then you know teams go into buyer and seller territory and um, you know you see you see who gets unloaded and who who's going to go for a different thing. But you know I heard this theory out there and I, I want to kind of get your opinion on it is. You know, some people think that these GMs kind of grew up in the fantasy football era, and so now now they're a little bit more willing to, uh, you know, be trade happy and stuff like that, and kind of play in pieces and stuff like that. I mean, do you think do you think fantasy football has played a, a part in just sort of what we're seeing in this kind of explosion of aggressiveness from these GMs? Maybe, but I just think that 
the old-fashioned GMs kind of focused on the NFL draft, and that that's what they saw as their way to get into the Super Bowl. Make some good picks, hit on some guys, and you'll be guaranteed if you do that during the, the time span of two or three years, you're going to be in the Super Bowl or you're going to be a playoff contending team. I think now teams are realizing that, hey, I, I can maneuver these picks. If I'm not seeing something in the 2020 NFL draft, I'm willing to get that young player with a couple of years left on his contract that can help my team right now in this playoff chase or in the future as well if he believes that he can sign him. So I think smart GMs, younger GMs are realizing this, that they don't have to wait to get a Jalen Ramsey in the draft when when they see Jalen Ramsey being the better player out of what the cornerback class in the 2020 is offering. Or in the case of Leonard Williams, I mean, the Giants obviously and Dave Gettleman value defensive line play. And he's willing to trade for a guy that he knows probably will not be available in next year's draft. So I, I'm glad that teams are valuing picks and they're valuing these players as well. I'm not sure that the fantasy has anything to do with that. I don't have any background in if these GMs play fantasy or not, or if play, they've played fantasy when they weren't, you know, in the, in the football operations. Maybe, maybe, Ed. But it's just, I, I love this action. And I think trades are, is a way to improve your team you know, or stockpile on picks and, and something that the Miami Dolphins are doing really, really well, Ed. I mean, they've got 14 picks now. They traded a keep to leave. Um, the, the Denver Broncos traded to keep Tlaib and um, oh, I apologize. Los Angeles Rams traded to keep Tlaib and a fifth round pick to the Dolphins. It was basically they were offloading a contract. They knew that Tlaib was still on the injured reserve, that he wasn't going to help them. The Dolphins were willing to take on that, that contract. And now the Dolphins, Ed, they've got 14 picks in the 2020 NFL draft, including three first round picks two second round picks and um, you know they've got their own selection which could be used to select a franchise quarterback it's projected to be first overall most likely and then they also received the 2020 sixth round pick for Kenyon Drake I mean the Cardinals decided to trade for Kenyon Drake and they sent a, you know a sixth round pick back that can become a fifth round pick so it's interesting I mean the, the Dolphins are just stockpiling on picks and 14 selections that's a lot Ed. yeah uh you know you know kind of looking ahead at what the dolphins are doing is they're basically saying we're going to start from scratch we're going to let brian flores um you know you know sort of pick his team and um you know rebuild it and build it in the way that he wants um i just my my, my kind of worry is is that i think i think that i think they have enough picks so that i think they can go after the quarterback that they want and I think that I think that that's what they'll do. Um, I would like to see them in this draft, you know, sort of build up the offense, you know, build up a good young offense. So, you know, it might be nice if they used a couple picks on some wide receivers and a good wide receiver class. And I would like to see them maybe get like a left tackle, you know, to get that foundational left tackle out of this draft. And so, if, at least if they can get a functioning offense going. You know, they can score some points, and then in future drafts, they can sort of build up their defense again. I think that's how they have to do it. But, um, you know, I don't know if this is the draft 
I mean, it's kind of early to speculate, but I don't know if this is the draft that I want to tank for. You know, just as far as you know, building up a lot of picks. I mean, I'm just I, I'm not as I'm not as excited about this draft. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of my question is is maybe is it a year too early or the year too or is this a a year too early or you know maybe maybe you wait a year or two before you tank for you know the top draft pick. Well, the Dolphins are not. A very good team. It's pretty obvious that they decided to do a fire sale. They realized that they have a few good players and they traded them. I mean, obviously, Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil and, and brought them something in return. And obviously, that that's what they're going to do. They're going to use this 2020 NFL draft as, as a bridgestone to the future. That's it. It's the, it's the first NFL draft, basically, in reality, for this, for this new uh, coaching staff and and that's it. They want to put a blueprint on it, a real blueprint on it. And obviously the quarterback is something that they're going to go after. I think it's pretty obvious that they've given up on Josh Rosen um, because Ryan Fitzpatrick is, is going to be the starter going forward. It's unfortunate. It's like Josh Rosen, for a young quarterback, he's been in the two worst situations that you can imagine. He he didn't have any weapons with the Arizona Cardinals, didn't have an offensive line, and you know, I, I decline to say if he has any players on that offense on the Miami Dolphins ever since they, they traded Kenny Stills and, and Laramie Tunsil. Obviously, just does this kid doesn't have a chance to succeed. And I think hopefully he's gonna go on to his third team and maybe he's gonna, you know, earn his backup job, maybe with the Patriots or something like that in the future. You never know. But he needs to go to a winning team that will appreciate him and build up his confidence. And uh, certainly not his future is not with the Miami Dolphins. So the Dolphins are going to go quarterback. Um, actually, you mentioned a lot of offense. You said they, they need to get a wide receiver. I agree with you. They need to get an offensive line. I mean, that's first and foremost. Whether they draft Tua or Justin Herbert, they need to protect that young signal caller. That's first and foremost. And I, I'm sure Brian Flores and that organization understands that currently. But don't forget, Flores is a defensive coach, Ed. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to build up that defense. Yeah, I just I just don't know who they, you know, I, I mean, I see some kind of like, you know, sort of, you know, defensive ends in the 3-4 system that I, I like in this draft. But I, I don't see I don't see a whole lot of players on the defensive side of the ball that I really love Um you know, for the Dolphins. So, um, you know, I, I, I would almost, I would almost, you know, try to get the quarterback you want. You have the draft capital to get the quarterback you want, you know, build up your offense. And then, you know, over the years, you know, try to, try to build some, try to build up some defense. And then eventually, you know, you, you've, you sort of built, you sort of built your team, but, um, you know, I, 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 that, that's just, that's just me looking at, at, at what what I'm seeing in this draft and what I what I want to get out of the, you know this draft. Let's talk about the Leonard Williams trade. Ed, uh, a top ten pick. Now I want to remind our listeners in the 2015 NFL draft, Leonard Williams was considered by some to be the best player in that draft. Um, he went sixth overall, and the Jets obviously got the best player on the board at that time. Um, but what happens? They decided to part ways with him, and uh, they traded him to the Giants. He doesn't have to go far. He's going to play in the same stadium, and they traded him for a third 
and a fifth round pick in 2021, which could become a fourth rounder if the Giants sign him, which is still a big question mark. What happened here, Ed? I mean, they, they gave up on a young player who was one of their best players on defense. And it seems like the new GM, Joe Douglas and Adam Gase, they signed off on this. And I'm just surprised they weren't able to get a higher pick out of this. Well, you know, I don't think I don't think Leonard Williams was having as great of a season with the Jets this year. And, you know, he might be a player sort of, you know, on the decline. And I know he's only 25, but, um, you know, he hasn't played as well. And so... Um, you know he's gonna want he's gonna he's he's a little overrated and he's gonna want a big contract and you know so now he's the Giants' problem and now he's you know they get they get a couple picks for him and you know they they won't have to try to re-sign him for a lot of money and so um, I I you know I I kind of when I really step back and look at it I actually think this is a good trade for the dry for the Jets. I, I'm going to disagree. Um, look, you, you want to keep as many good players on the team as possible. I understand what you're saying. And a lot of it has to do, Leonard Williams is 25 years old, but he hasn't produced as a pass rusher. I guess when you're picked sixth overall, you would expect a guy like that to get after the quarterback. And he has only 17 career sacks, including two in the past 18 games. I mean, th- those statistics say a lot. But the current and the previous coaching staff defended Williams. They were always saying he was strong against the run, he helped others, he drew frequent double teams. And when you actually watch Jets games and if you focus on Leonard Williams, I mean, that was the truth. He really played well against the runs. He forced double teams and he was just, he was a hard worker. In 2016, he made the Pro Bowl. I think he had like seven sacks during that season. And you know what? Not every defensive end that plays in a 3-4 defense can be a J.J. Watt. I mean, a guy caused pressure. He played well against the run. I guess the, the the question mark was, were the Jets willing to sign him to 10, give him 10 or 12 million next year because he was going to be a free agent? Obviously, the answer to that is no. They obviously felt that they had some depth on the defensive line and they decided to you know, move on. But it's amazing how the Jets were trying to even move you know, they're stalwart of the defense, Jamal Adams, the, the big-time safety. I mean, h- how do you explain that? Obviously, you entertain offers. You listen to other GMs who are willing to, you know, part ways and, and trade some picks for your star players. But how do you justify that, Ed? I mean, the Jets, it looks like they have a new GM in place. They have a new head coach. But it looks like the same old mess that they've had in previous years. Well, I, I, I kind of talked about this on Twitter. I don't think that was a smart move by the Jets front office at all. You know, I think I think you basically created some distrust with Jamal Adams. Um, and, you know, he, he felt disrespected and he was openly honest about it. I mean, you know, he kind of said, you know, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that to Aaron Donald. You wouldn't do that to Tom Brady. I don't know if he's Aaron Donald or Tom Brady. But you know he is—he is a foundational piece. I mean, if you, when, when I think about a Super Bowl formula, he's the kind of guy that I want to build a Super Bowl team. And you know, I, I know I understand rebuilding and trying to build up picks, but you know, at the same time, you know, you got to keep the guys who are good, who are good young players. And you know, Jamal Adams is a good young player, and you know, maybe he can turn into a leader. I mean, I—I I think Jamal Adams is one of the best safeties in this league. So I—I I just. You know why? 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 Why weaken yourself at another position 
you know, to, to just make make it more make more spots that you have to rebuild at, you know, if you trade Jamal Adams. Yeah, the the Jets were just in the same old situation. Even though they they fired their old GM, they they got a a respected guy there, a first-time GM and Joe Douglas who is people talk very highly of him, but it's just it seemed like they kind of messed up this situation and hopefully they'll be able to to iron those things out. Uh, Bovada takes sports betters closer to the action. It, it's fun, it's safe, and it's fast. It's it's sports betting made easy. So if you're looking to, to make bets on the NFL or some other sports, go visit uh, Bovada. But yeah, the, the Jets are a mess. And, and uh, again, they, they need to do something out there. It's just like a new regime, but same old problems. Uh, I mentioned J.J. Watt, uh, and he's out for the year. Um, what, what do you think? Where, where do the Texans go from, from there? I mean, Jadavian Clowney is, is no longer on the team. Uh, Merciless is, is their best pass rusher right now. Can the Houston Texans keep up? Well, I, I think this is just kind of a sad situation for the NFL. I mean, J.J. Watt was, you know, a foundational player. I mean, he's, he's really one of the, 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 the top, I mean, he's a top three or five, you know, defensive player in the league. And he spent the last three or the last four years on sen- season ending surgery. And it's, it's 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 I don't think it's that he's not taking care of himself. It's just bad luck and it's sad for the league. Um, I think at this point, you know, the Texans have have had good defenses, and I think the power the power has kind of shifted a little bit to the Colts now. I mean, I think this is this is really the Colts division to win at this point. I'm gonna pat myself on the back, Ed. It was easy to to give up on the Colts after Andrew Luck retired. But you know what? I kind of stuck to my guns. I said, look, they have a winning formula in place. They have a good offensive line. I think they can run the football with Marlon Mack, and I think he proved that a little bit later on in the last year. And I think they had a good defense. And I just felt like, look, Jacoby Brissett wasn't going to mess up the situation. He's no Andrew Luck, but I think he was just going to steer the ship. He was practicing with the first-team offense and in training camp and and throughout, and he was comfortable with guys like T.Y. Hilton. And that throw that he made at the end of the game, that was just amazing, the way he, he avoided the, the sack and just rolled out to the right and put so much zip on that throw that T.Y. Hilton came up with it. I think it was like 34-yard reception that eventually set up, set up Adam Vinatieri for the game-winning field goal, something that we've seen many times before. And they, it's just amazing. The Colts are in first place right now. They're 5-2. and two. Um, can, can they keep this going? Obviously, the Texans have Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, and that offense is, is playing really, really well. But I think the Colts have a winning formula here, Ed. Yeah, I, I, I like I like what the, what the Colts are doing, but you know I'm not I'm not ready to say that they're you know gonna make a, a big playoff run. They they may win the I, I think the power has shifted to them in the AFC. Will they win? Will they win the AFC South? Let's not focus. I'm not about to to say that they can challenge the Chiefs or the Patriots. I'm not saying that. Do you? I have you become a believer? That they can win the AFC. I think South. that division's wide open. I think there's a. I mean, you know, the the records are close, and I think there's a lot of teams that could take that division. I mean, I picked the the Tennessee Titans at the beginning of the season. I still, I mean, I Tannehill has played better in the last couple of weeks. Um, 
I th- I, th- I think there's just you know you know Houston Houston lost JJ Watt and so obviously I favor the Colts but you know I don't think the Texans are totally out of it I I don't I don't really see a team in that division that really is out of it so I mean I think I think this is really a four horse race and this is something to keep an eye on but yeah I I mean the favorite I, I guess the odds on favorite is the Colts but you know this is still a wide open division. It's an incredibly competitive division because you have the Jaguars and the Titans sitting at four and four. You've got the Texans at five and three, and you've got the Colts at the top of the division with the five and two record. But it's just a lot of people wrote off the Colts, and I stuck with them. And I guess that's the only prediction that I'm proud of in my NFL preview that we did in the beginning of the season. Uh, the Bengals, Ed. Uh, a lot of talk was about maybe the Bengals trading AJ Green. They decided to hold on to him, and now they they bench Andy Dalton. I guess it's no surprise because they're winless um, under a new head coach and uh, that that franchise. And Ryan Finley was named the starter, the the rookie out of NC State who looked good in the preseason, who I believe is going to be an amazing backup quarterback in this league. But the Bengals want to find out because they're going to have a top three pick. They want to find out, do we invest in a quarterback or can Ryan Finley be that guy? What do you think about this situation? I, I think I think it's a smart move because the Bengals are pretty much out of it. I mean, you, you, you find out what you have in Ryan Finley. Um, so I think I think it's a good move. But um, do I do I see Ryan Finley as really the guy to, to be the guy for the Bengals? I mean, I think eventually, um, you know, unless Ryan Finley just goes and lights it up, I mean, they're they're going to be another team, and I mean, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be competing for that number one spot, and I think I think they're they're in that sort of draft a quarterback territory, and you know, but the the one thing that is really clear is they have a they they don't have a quarterback now in in Cincinnati, you know, so uh, for a lot of years Andy Dalton's been the guy, and I think I think this is finally they said they said they're done with Andy Dalton and. So they are definitely in that zone of we're going to draft a quarterback this year, and they're going to have they're going to have the draft capital to you know they may not be able to have the draft capital that the Dolphins have, but I mean they may they may lose that game against the Dolphins in Week 16, and they might get the number one pick, and so you know they can have Justin Herbert if they want to, or they can have Tua, or you know I don't know if they really like Jalen Hurts. I mean we've seen Stranger Things. Well, the Dolphins are going to be linked to Tua. Uh, for forever, I believe, and I think the Bengals are gonna. People are gonna start to link the doll, uh, the Bengals to Justin Herbert. I, I think those are gonna be the the two obvious landing spots. And Andy Dalton is done in Cincinnati. Uh, they will decline his option. He will become a free agent, and you know somebody is gonna be uh, might get a bargain in Andy Dalton out there, who's not gonna invest invest in a quarterback in 2020 NFL draft. I've never been a believer in Andy Dalton, but you know what? He, he's been a starter for, for a long, long time, and he's led the Bengals to the playoffs on a couple of occasions, and yeah, worse things have happened than, than this. I mean, if Alex Smith can get a, a starting job over and over again, Andy Dalton definitely deserves a shot elsewhere. Uh, Trent Williams, uh, strange situation, Ed. A lot of teams were interested in him, and I thought the Redskins were going to let him go. I guess the, the asking price wasn't enough. He ends his holdout, comes back to the Redskins, fails f- his physical because of a helmet issue, 
And now there are some rumblings whether Trent Williams is going to play at all uh, this season. But it seems like he came back to the team so he can earn that salary. But he was hoping for a trade. It just never occurred. Yeah, um, I mean, this is kind of an unfortunate situation for the for the Washington Redskins. I mean, the fact is is that Trent Williams has been a stable left tackle. I mean, he's been one of the elite guys for a long time, and so for this drama to pop up is kind of unfortunate for the Redskins. Uh, among all the other bad things that have happened for the Redskins, um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm 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 not I'm not you know sort of in the I mean, if 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 team if teams wanted to take a risk on him, um, you know, it, it it wasn't as solid as it was a year ago to take Trent Williams. So I can understand how teams might be a little bit gun shy in training for him. Let's talk about the the two unbeaten teams in the NFL that have impressed a lot of people. Uh, let Let's start with the New England Patriots. And Bill Belichick got his three hundredth win after eight games this season. Uh, the Patriots' defense has been outstanding. It really has been. It has scored as many touchdowns, which is four, as it has allowed to opposing offenses. I mean, in an era when offenses rule the NFL, the Patriots are doing something unheard of, uh, to, to be honest with you. When you look at their roster, it's not like they've got stars. They've just got a team defense. Maybe they've got Stephon Gilmore, who's one of the better corners in the league. And then, you know, some other guys are playing lights out. But you just, you don't have any studs. You don't have a Vaughn Miller out there on, in your in your front seven. And it's just, and the Patriots and and Bill Belichick are just getting it done with, with a lot of guys, a lot of unnamed guys. And they're just, that's how they're winning. You know, they're, they've allowed at 43 points over eight games. If you do the math, that's 5.4 points per game. It, it's it's just amazing. Again, Gilmore, Devin McCourty. But I, I, I fail to say that they, they've got stars at every position. They're just they're doing it somehow. And Bill Belichick is, is definitely the driving force ever since Brian Flores left. It seems like Bill Belichick is running the defense and it's better than ever. Yeah, well, you know, they seem to they seem to always have that one pass rusher and it's kind of a surprise who the guy is. It's uh Kyle Van Noy who's been that kind of edge rusher for them this year. Um and, you know, and and it's been different guys over the past years and it's it's always been guys who are kind of under the radar and then they end up having a great year. Um but the 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 strength of this team is their secondary. I mean, they have the best secondary in football, and I mean, this is maybe the best secondary that the Patriots have ever had. Um, and Jamie Collins is also having a great year. But uh, yeah, I, I would say I would say this is this is really a, a defensive, uh, really a defensive team that's carrying them. I mean, I found an interesting stat. It was like. You know, they they said if it was just the defense, you know, without even the offense playing, this team would be like a 500 team. Just that's how much their defense has been scoring and dominating. We've just gotten so used to Tom Brady and the offense being the driving force the the past few years that the the defense has they haven't had that star-studded defense just statistically wise. This year, it's all about the defense and defense wins championships and. And that's why it's no surprise that the Patriots are the favorites right now in the NFL as far as getting back to the Super Bowl and winning it. And um, But you know what? 
they're gonna face a real test this week, Ed. Uh, they're gonna face the Ravens, and they will have to field a more physical defense against Lamar Jackson. After the bye, they will go up against Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, then Deshaun Watson, and then Mahomes. I'm sure Mahomes is gonna be back by then. So it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, obviously they're gonna face more talented quarterbacks, and uh, it's gonna be interesting to see whether the Patriots defense will continue to dominate the way it has. And it has to start this week. Bavada has the Patriots as the favorite on the road at minus four versus the Ravens. So what do we think about this? I know you've fallen in love with Lamar Jackson in recent weeks. And is he going to be able to do anything against the Patriots defense uh, this this upcoming Sunday? Well, you know, I, 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 I always think a guy like Bill Belichick is always able to find out how to stop a guy like Lamar Jackson. And he might, he might even be the guy to teach the league how to stop Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm just... I'm just I'm so enthralled with the way, the way that Bill Belichick has able to been prepare his defenses over the years. So I I don't I don't think I don't think this is going to be that tough of a test against the the Ravens for the Patriots. I think the Patriots win this game pretty handily. Wow, you you heard it here first from uh, from Ed Hunt. He he's making his prediction that put the money on the Patriots in this game. And um, I think you're going to be all right. L- let's go with the San Francisco 49ers. This is dear to my heart. And um, it seemed like they were going to face a real test against the Carolina Panthers, but they never really faced that, that test. The 49ers continue to win. They're, one, they're obviously the, <laughs> the unbeaten team in the NFC, the only remaining team. Nick Bosa was amazing, Ed. Uh, had three sacks. He came up with an INT. How often do you see a defensive end avoid a, a cup block, jump up, and just snatch an interception out of the air at the line of scrimmage? That was absolutely amazing. He has 31 pressures and five sacks in six games. Another monster game against the Panthers. He's just he's coming on. Look, he's he's not only the defensive rookie of the year. I could make a case that Nick Bosa, if he continues to dominate stay healthy he could be the defensive player of the year forget about rookie yeah i mean i i i wouldn't say i i wouldn't say i wouldn't say he you know they'll give him defensive player of the year just quite yet but i mean i think there's some other guys like aaron donald who probably win that award but you know he he has been he has already in his rookie year become an elite defensive end and he he has they have hit on that pick and he has been great and you know what to be honest with you I mean I'm just impressed with the with the San Francisco 49ers defensive line I mean there's three guys that are just outstanding players you know you got, we've talked about Nick Bosa but D Ford having a great year Eric Armstead having a great year I mean three of your four front four are having a great year and I think that's a big reason they're having so much success on the defensive side of the ball Another thing that I really want to mention is is that they're having some good years from their corners. Um, Richard Sherman's having a good year despite being kind of in the older part of his career. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Emmanuel Mosley, Kwan Williams. This is this is a good corner group. So you know they're they're able to cover guys and they're able to get after the after the passer. So um, this is a good defense. I mean, I I know I know like you know maybe a major media source might say, oh Jimmy G carrying the 49ers, but Really, I mean, this defense is really deserves a lot of credit. 
Jimmy G has played better the past couple of weeks, by the way. I want to admit that. He hit Emmanuel Sanders. Sanders scored his first touchdown in, in a 49ers uniform, which put the 49ers on top against the Panthers, and they just continued. They was just It was brutal. I mean, if you're a Panthers fan, it was brutal to watch because I guess you, you don't expect that. You think Kyle Allen is, is hitting his stride, but the defense has carried has carried this team. If you've watched at least one 49ers game this season, you see it. it. This is not about Jimmy G, but I like the formula. It's about running the football and playing great defense and getting after the quarterback. And it's just John Lynch has done a great job building a winner, and he's got the right head coach pressing those buttons right now in, in Kyle Shanahan because no one, no one saw this coming. I don't think many people saw the 49ers as a playoff team. Right now, they are the NFC unbeaten team. They haven't lost a game. They're leading a very tough division in NFC West. So I'm excited, Ed, and I hope they're going to keep this going. I hope that they have enough stamina, conditioning, and, and mental toughness to, to get through this. I know Shanahan has been through this with the Falcons when he was an offensive coordinator there, when they went to the Super Bowl. Richard Sherman has been there. So they've got some leaders in the room. I just hope that they keep those other guys under check and, and they don't get too big-headed. All right. So um, I've... let's move on to, yeah, let's move on to scouting reports. We Every week we, we put a couple of guys under the, the scouting microscope and this week, we decided to focus on another wide receiver. Joe Burrow from LSU has received a lot of hype, but his favorite target this year has been Justin Jefferson. Uh, he played on the outside as a sophomore, had a great year last year. This year, he's been the, the slot receiver. They, they've put him in the slot to give him more favorable matchups, and he's still been Joe Burrow's favorite target. So, Let's put Justin Jefferson under the microscope, Ed. Well, I think there's something that I like about him, and I think uh, you know this kind of comes uh, from the from the Alex Kavtov school of wide receivers. Is this is this is a guy who's a good route runner. Um, I do think he needs to be a little bit sharper on his routes, but overall, this is a good foundational route runner for the NFL, and I think that's 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 why he's at least a day two pick. Um, I think the fact that he can line up in the slot on the outside, I think he's going to be able to do both at, at the next level. Um, he'll be a nice slot matchup, you know, being 6'2", but being able to play in the slot. Um, I think he has good effort as a blocker. Um, I think he's only an average blocker, but I think he has good, I think he has good effort. Um, you know, he's a guy who can high point the ball. Um, you know, he kind of has that sneaky speed, great button lines, um, can improvise on passes. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot to like about Justin Jefferson. He's a leader, Ed. He's a leader. He's a hard worker. He was a three-star wide receiver coming out of high school. He didn't get the hype, and obviously a lot of guys were ahead of him on the depth chart. I mean, he just worked his way up, and he's become the most consistent receiver at LSU the past couple of years. Crisp route runner, a guy that can make tough catches in traffic. He has good hands, but at times I just I, he catches the ball away from his frame. It's just at times he kind of double clutches. He's he's unsure a little bit. He did have some drops in 2018. He's gotten better with it in 2019. He's been strictly a slot receiver this year as a junior, and I think that's where he's going to make his money. I made a comment on Twitter. I said Justin Jefferson is a first round prospect. 
after watching him on one game. Then I started, I watched about four or five of his games, and I want to retract that a little bit. I think he's going to go in the second round. This is a really talented wide receiver group, and I just don't think he's a big-time athlete. And I, even though his nickname is the Jets, I just don't see that 4-4 speed. I think he's more of a 4-5 guy. And if you're a 4-5 guy with being a good athlete but not a great one, I don't think you're going to be chosen in the first round. And that's why I'm backing off that statement. But I do like Justin Jefferson as a prospect. I think he needs to get stronger. I think he needs to prove himself against press coverage because I just I don't see that this year because he's facing a slot corner that's playing off and he's getting a chance to to get free. And I don't think he's going to be a deep threat at the next level. He's not going to be able to challenge uh, the, you know cornerbacks vertically because he just doesn't have that blazing speed. Yeah, I I, I I kind of question you know that he's a first rounder you know for for other reasons um, you know the, one of the reasons is I think uh, I think he sometimes has trouble coming up with 50-50 balls um, you know I think I think he has reliable hands but I don't think he's I don't think you know with the sort of tough to catch balls I think he sometimes you know comes up short. Um, you know, I think he was. I think he was. You know, he was a guy who was a who was a go to guy in twenty eighteen, and I think he's having a great twenty nineteen. But um, you know, he he's not. I I just I think he's. I think he's definitely you know a day two guy. Um, but I just don't see. I just don't see the eliteness that we're seeing from this wide receiver class. I think a guy like him gets pushed down, and I think this is a good year to draft a wide receiver because you can get good value in the second round. Well, Justin Jefferson is definitely a name to keep an eye on because, again, Joe Burrow has gotten himself into first-round conversation and I think continues to play this way. If he has a good showing against Alabama, he's definitely going to be a first-round pick. He's not a top 10 or a top 5 pick. Um, Justin Jefferson is his favorite target. Keep an eye on him in the Alabama game because that duo is is scary. He when, when Joe Burrow gets in trouble, he looks for Justin Jefferson, even though he's got Chase and he's got Marshall, but Justin Jefferson is still his number one weapon. Let's move on to the defensive side of the ball, Ed. Uh, we were, you and I are not impressed by the cornerback class in the 2020 NFL Draft, but we continue to, to break down these corners. We're hoping that maybe somebody is going to catch our eye. Um, so we decided to turn to the cornerback out of Stanford. His name is Paulson Adebo. Interesting prospect. He's in his second year as the starter for the Cardinals. So let's talk about his uh, strengths and weaknesses. Well, I think his, the big ones is I think he's a very good tackler. I think he's decent in run support. I don't think he's a guy who gets beat deep. Um, I don't think he gives up a lot of catches, uh, you know, average he has kind of average coverage skills um i just don't think he's a shutdown corner and i think the reason why is because i think he sometimes has trouble with the intermediate stuff um but i you mean give he gives up too much of a cushion well i don't know if it's so much that he gives up too much of a yeah i don't know if it's so much a cushion as i i just think he i think he sometimes maybe like his his, his sort of technique is off and he's sort of Maybe has a little bit. Tr- he's slow. He's slow coming yeah, out of his breaks. Yeah, slow coming out of his breaks. But more, more is like it's more the mirroring that I worry about. 
Okay, but the thing is, the Cardinal like to mix up their defense. And he can play press, he can play off man, the bail technique. They play a lot of zone, so he's very familiar with these these different you know concepts, coverage concepts. He also has very good length. He's a strong guy. He has great ball skills, almost like a wide receiver out there because you don't see many college cornerbacks locating the ball the way he does downfield. He almost attacks it like a wide receiver. He challenges these guys, and he can definitely run with them because, I mean, he does have good speed. Um, so what do you think about those things? I mean, those are really, really good traits for for a successful cornerback in the NFL. Yeah, so I see him as kind of like that sort of, you know, guy who has good instincts in zone, guy who, you know, guy who isn't going to get beat, guy who's a good tackler. You know, he is sort of the sort of 2019 corner. I just don't think, I guess what I what I what I see in him is I don't see the I don't see the shutdown sort of, you know, a Debo Island type of corner, but I see a lot of I I see a lot of things that they like in modern corners. So I think he I think he's going to be very well liked in the draft and I I could see him going in the first round because you know he 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 kind of fits what what teams are looking for in a corner, but I mean I, I think sometimes it's just a philosophical thing because for me for me I I like that kind of, you know, that that sort of LSU type, you know, mirror the guy and stay with the guy and you know, you know, shut him down and um you know, and those guys are hard to find, but um that that that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of what's keeping me from, you know, really really thinking that Adebo is a first round guy. Well, nobody, not everybody is a Daryl Rivas type of cornerback. I mean, you understand that, right? I mean, everybody has different games. Everybody has different schemes and and concepts and techniques. What I do like about Adebo a lot, and I respect him for this. I like corners that that do this. He's a physical guy. He's very willing in run support. And he's a good tackler, Ed. He's just, he's a good wrap-up tackler. And he's always coming up and making plays against the run. Because I guess if you want to play in, in Stanford's defense, you have to be aggressive, you have to be physical, and you have to play against the run. And I, I love that part of Adebo's game. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think he's, he's, you know, in the run support department, I, you know, very good. I think he's also just a very good tackler. I think he's a guy who, like, you know, if he gives up a catch, he's still going to come up with the tackle. And I mean, that that is that is an endearing trait. I mean, that is, you know, he's not he's not a guy who's gonna who's gonna give up a lot of big plays. And I mean, that's 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 something to be valued in a defense, especially in the especially Absolutely. in the NFL when the receivers are really good. So in a, in a draft where there's no right now there's no clear cut number one corner. You and I both like Fulton out of LSU. Um, where do you see him? I mean, I I was skeptical of Adebo. I saw him in one game last year against USC. I didn't like what I saw when I broke him down. When you and I did this this tape study, and I saw him in three more games. I actually warmed up to him. And to be honest with you, in a class that doesn't have a, a true shutdown corner, I see him as a first-round guy. I could see him being out there, you know, picked somewhere in the 20s. And we've seen guys like this picked in the 20s based on, on their upside and, and based on having their length and 4-4 and four, four speed. Where do you see him going? You know, I guess I guess the, the way I see it is I think, he, I think he's the type of corner that – if he fits into a scheme, you know, if he fits into a scheme that's looking for, you know, for a team that's looking for a corner, I think he goes in the first round. 
But I, I really, I really, I, you know, if if I had to put him on a draft board, and I'm a, I'm an NFL team, I, I'm going to give him a second round grade. Well, Greedy Williams was a second round pick, Ed. You you liked him a lot, but eventually he went in the second round. He wasn't a first round pick the way you saw it. So hey, that's actually quite a compliment coming out. Yeah, of you. I, I'm just. You know, I, I, I definitely I like what I see out of him. I mean, I'd be comfortable with him. Um, you know, he, he, he could be this is this is a place where I would value him, too, is that, uh, you know, you could match him up against your number one, you know, their number one receiver. And, you know, he's not going to shut. He's not going to stop. He's not going to totally stop. You know, your number one receiver, like let's say you're playing the Bengals and you're going against A.J. Green. I know A.J. Green might be on another team, but, you know, a guy like A.J. Green or, you know, you're playing the, the, the Falcons and you're going against Julio Jones. He's Not many people can shut down Julio Jones, though, in the NFL. Yeah, you not many this. people can shut down Julio Jones, but I think he's a guy who could, who could, who could have a good day against like a Julio Jones type. I think he will have more trouble against quicker wide receivers and instead of bigger guys, uh, more physical guys, because he can get physical with them. I think he will struggle a little bit with more shiftier receivers, guys that can turn him around a little bit, guys that are quicker in and out of the breaks. I'm not saying Julio and A.J. Green aren't great, but I just think guys that run crisp routes that are really quick will give some, some trouble to... Uh, to a Debo, in my opinion. But again, a second round pick isn't bad. And we'll come back next week and we'll talk about some uh, some more guys that we'll put under the microscope. I wanted to end this show with some Gardner Minshew talk because it seems like the Jaguars want to go back to Nick Foles. But Gardner Minshew, the rookie out of Washington State who was picked in the sixth round, just continues to win. It's not pretty, but this week he looked a lot more comfortable buying time, extending plays. He was accurate and just having great ball placement on a couple of those throws that he put into the end zone for for touchdowns. Gardner Minshew has really caught me by surprise because I always do a very diligent job with with quarterbacks and when I break them down, but Minshew has has come out of nowhere for me. And I, I like the way he's picked up the system and he makes quick decisions, he knows where to go with the ball, and that's what's been impressive to me because we see young quarterbacks struggle where to go with the ball, making the second and third read, and Minshew has been, has been great at that. So my advice to the Jaguars, stick with Minshew. He's gotten you this far. You guys are 4-4. Four and four. You're in the AFC South race. You're not out of it. You could still make the playoffs as a wild card team, so... Gardner Minshew has definitely been a fine. People talk about Daniel Jones. People talk about Kyla Murray, Josh Jacobs. People need to start talking about Gardner Minshew because he's in the Offensive Rookie of the Year race. Yeah, I I like him as an Offensive Rookie of the Year, but I I think I think he's more of just a solid starter. And I think I think what they should do in Jacksonville is keep him. Keep him as a starter. Keep him going, and you know, just give Nick Foles as much time as he needs to get healthy. You know, wait for him to get to a hundred percent, and you know, you could keep you could keep Nick Foles as the backup, and then, um, but just I, I would say you keep going with Gardner Minshew going forward. You just you keep going with the hot hand, Dad. Whoever is winning, there's no read. There's no need to 
to change up the formula. If your quarterback is winning, whether he's a veteran or a rookie, it doesn't matter. The team has his back. And I, I just, I love the way he's playing right now. So th there's no need to bench him. I, I heard that Nick Foles is practicing and he's ready to be back, but it's just, it, it's Minshew's team right now. And the Jaguars should stick with him. Uh, this was Blitzcast number 80. I'm Alex. Uh, this was my partner, Ed Hunt. Uh, we'll come back next week. Thank you for listening.